Welcome to High Performance Mindset with Dr. Sindra Kampoff. Do you want to reach your full potential, live a life of passion, go after your dreams? Each week, we bring you strategies and interviews to help you ignite your mindset. Let's bring on Sindra. Welcome to the High Performance Mindset Podcast. This is your host, Sindra Kampoff, and I'm grateful that you're here, ready to listen to episode 182 with Mackenzie Havey. Now, the goal of these interviews is to learn from the world's best leaders, athletes, coaches, and consultants, all about the topic of mindset to help us reach our potential or be high performers in our field or our sport. Now, before I head over to Mackenzie's interview, which was outstanding, I'm going to go and read a rating and review from iTunes. And this one is from Brooke Craven. Brooke Craven said, awesome show. Dr. Cindra Kampoff, host of the podcast, highlights all aspects of business performance and more in this can't miss podcast. The host and expert guests offer insightful information and advice that is helpful to anyone that listens. So thank you so much, Brooke. I'm grateful that you went over to iTunes and took the time to write a rating and a review. So I'm grateful for that. And if you enjoyed today's episode, you can head over to iTunes. I'll make sure to read yours next time or Stitcher Radio or iHeartRadio and leave a rating and review. Now in this episode, I interview Mackenzie Havey, who is the author of the new book published by Boomsbury, Mindful Running. She writes about endurance sports and mind-body health and fitness for a number of leading publications, including TheAtlantic.com, ESPN, Runner's World, Self, and Outside Magazine. She holds a graduate degree in sports psychology and is a USA track and field certified coach, teaches classes in the kinesiology department at the University of Minnesota, and has completed 14 marathons and an Ironman triathlon. She lives in Minneapolis with her husband and 20-month-old daughter. And so I wanted to have Mackenzie for a few reasons on the podcast. First, I absolutely love her book, Mindfulness and Running. And in this interview, we talk about specifically how mindfulness can help running. But I wanted this interview to be much more broad about how we can use mindfulness in our everyday life and mindfulness in sport and business. And so that's what this interview is really about, how you can use mindfulness in all areas of your life. Now, we talk about what mindfulness is, the benefits of practicing mindfulness, how we can actually practice it, and how mindfulness supports psychological skills training, and how mindfulness changes our brain. Now, a few of my favorite parts of this interview were when she said, 50% of our waking hours are mind wanders, and that's why we really need mindfulness. And then she also said, quote, a thought is just a thought. We don't need to take it as a truth. And what mindfulness can help you do is examine your doubt intellectually not emotionally, end quote. Now, I know you're going to love this interview with Mackenzie Havey, and we'd encourage you to head over to Twitter to join the conversation about the podcast. You can tag myself at mentally underscore strong, or Mackenzie is at Mackenzie Havey. Without further ado, let's bring on Mackenzie. So welcome to the High Performance Mindset Podcast. I'm excited today to have Mackenzie Havey here to talk about mindfulness. So Mackenzie, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. All right, let's get started and tell us a little bit about your passion and what you do right now, Mackenzie. Sure, sure. Well, I am a a freelance journalist and I write about running and other endurance sports and outdoor adventure for a variety of publications like Runner's World and um, Outside in the Atlantic. And um, my first book came out in September called Mindful Running. And it's about how to integrate the principles of mindfulness into your training. And uh, I'm a longtime runner myself. And uh, it's, I've, I've, um, I kind of talk about some of the personal stories of using mindfulness in my own training in my book, because it's been really important to me in terms of um, making running a sustainable, healthy practice. And um, so I've, um, in terms of my running background, I've run a a bunch of marathons and I've done an Ironman and uh, some other shorter triathlons over the years. And, um, and that's uh, kind of me in a nutshell, I think. (laughs) Awesome. And you got a graduate degree in sports psychology from the University of Minnesota. So tell us a little bit about, you know, just pursuing that degree and how you got to where you are now in terms of 
as a writer and now a published author? Yeah, sure. So um, I, you know, started as a runner very early in my life and um, was always interested in sports. And that turned into an interest in sports psychology, which is what led me to pursue um, a graduate degree at the U of M and also become a USA track and field coach. And I do some instruction at the U of M now uh, in the kinesiology department uh, for some of their physical activity classes. And um, so, you know, the graduate degree was definitely just an, an academic, academic, excuse me, interest in the and the research out there. And um, it's really, I think, helped me a lot in my journalistic career because it's allowed me to really understand some of the exercise science and psychology research out there and try to put it into layman's terms in my writing. And For so, sure. um, the graduate degree was just a really important piece to the puzzle in terms of helping me translate kind of some uh, really complicated stuff uh, in my in my stories. Yeah, I hope people hear that <laughs> because <laughs> I think what you said is that you you know you learned about the academic part of sports psychology, but then knowing that and having that background helped you write into layman's terms. So yeah, I think that's important that you said that just in terms of that it did give you this background to, to write about this content. Mm -hmm. So, you know, obviously you studied mindfulness um, while at the U in terms of while getting your degree, but then, you know, this opportunity to write this book gave you more time to really invest yourself into the mindfulness and the mindfulness practice. So tell us a little bit about why a book on mindful running, like what made you decide to write this book in particular? Sure. Well, it really kind of came largely from my own experience as a runner. Uh, I had gotten to a point in my running where I was really getting burned out. I was encountering a lot of injuries and the sport that had always been so important to me and a big source of joy became more a source of stress. And mm. so I, I kind of had to step back from my running and reframe the way I was approaching it. And um, it, it, it meant stepping back from kind of the constant push and the constant drive for for goals or, you know, qualifying for this race or that race um, or, you know, achieving a personal best and stepping back from that. I mean, I wasn't, you know, running in the Olympic trials or anything. I was, you know, really just competing with myself. Um, but really, it was leading to this feeling of burnout. And so to kind of reframe my approach to running, I began to apply mindfulness to my training. And that meant just being more present in my everyday training runs and really paying more attention to the process of training rather than getting so wrapped up in focusing on that end goal or that whether it was a time or, or a specific race. Um, I still would set those goals, but um, I started to uh, just kind of take part in the process more and um, I found that that was really transformative for me, not only as a, in terms of like my joy of, of running kind of returned, but also I think as a byproduct of that, I performed better and I felt better. Mm. Um, so I, I encountered fewer injuries. And so I felt like, you know, there's, there was really something there. And then once I started talking to other runners and coaches and Olympians about, you know, their practice with being present in the process of their training. I found that, you know, there's a good number of athletes who uh, really find a lot of value in applying mindfulness to their training. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah, that's awesome. And so what we plan to do in the interview today is obviously talk how, about how mindfulness can help runners, right? But just the broader conversation about sport and even performance, you know, we perform every single day in our job or as our role in our role as a mother or father or sister or friend. Right. And so mindfulness has broader applications to just running, but obviously have, has a clear application to running. So Mackenzie, tell us, what did you learn about what mindfulness is like in terms of studying the research, but then 
talking to these experts about mindfulness. How would you define what it is for us? Yeah, sure. Uh, Well, so mindfulness is really just, it's a practice of paying attention to what's happening in the here and now without judging it or wishing it were different. And so mindfulness can help us direct and sustain our attention in really intentional ways in order to better manage thoughts, emotions, situations, uh, to just allow us to have a more skillful response uh, rather than this kind of mindless reaction. Mm. And um, so I would say, you know, at its core, you know, some people are uh, kind of chafe at the idea of mindfulness meditation, um, mm-hmm. but really at its core, mindfulness is just attention training. And mm. it's, it's like bicep curls for the brain. You know, every time you notice your mind has wandered and you bring it back to the present moment, you strengthen those neural pathways and um, so it's like a wrap in the gym. Mm. And um, in terms of the, the research, um, the, the brain research is really interesting looking at mindfulness. Um, one of the, this isn't sport in particular, but I think it's, it's an interesting study out of Harvard that shows that our minds wander somewhere around 50% of our waking hours. And um, I think that's kind of like shocking to, to think that, you know, we're, we're zoned out basically to what's directly in front of us. Half of the time we're walking around or driving or whatever we're doing. Um, and that same research showed that we tend to kind of harbor a natural negativity bias when we leave our brains to their own devices for too long. <laughs> and so... Um, we just we spend a ton of time analyzing the past or trying to predict the future or getting just distracted by unhelpful um, thinking and this causes us to mindlessly react to whatever is going on in our head rather than to respond to what's happening you know in front of us um, so the the MRI research is really interesting in this field and it shows that, so like when they, they put people in the MRI and tell them to let their minds wander, okay. the area of the brain called the default mode network lights up and becomes very active. And that area of the brain is, it's really important for certain things, but it's also associated with uh, self-referential and negative thinking. And so it's not a place you wanna get stuck for too long. Hmm. And when they put people in the MRI and tell them to uh, be mindful and to meditate, that the default mode network goes offline. And, you know, so that, that means that we tend to um, be in a, a more present space, which the research suggests uh, we tend to be in a little better state of mind oftentimes. So um, the, the studies show that, Mindfulness meditation can reduce the biomarkers of stress and reduce our perception of pain and discomfort, which is um, obviously especially important for for athletes who are training really intensely. Um, It can help us gain better body awareness so we know when to push during training or competition and when to back off because maybe we have an oncoming injury. The research shows that mindful individuals tend to more adeptly cope in stressful situations. So like dealing with pre-competition nerves or, you know, for a runner, like in a marathon, taking a a bad mile in in stride and not panicking or throwing in the towel. Um, And it, it also helps us just kind of redirect from negative thinking and focus on the most relevant data in the moment so that we can perform our best and that that uh obviously can be connected to self-confidence and increased optimism and uh there's quite a laundry list of of um benefits that the the research tends to to show Mm. yeah there's a lot of reasons why we'd want to practice mindfulness so 
if mindfulness is, and you know, uh, assuming you're using John Kabat-Zinn's definition, which I know you talked about in the book, but right, it's paying close in a particular way to the here and now without any judgment, right? Like, mm-hmm. and I like what you said about not wanting it to be different. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so tell us how you think that we can start practicing this, this in terms of mindfulness in our everyday. Sure, yeah. I mean, so in the book, I talk about these three scanning exercises. Um, and, and I just, the, it was my way of kind of deconstructing what I was doing in my own mindfulness practice. Um, and I apply mindfulness to running, obviously, but also other activities. And so I really think um, these, these exercises can be applied to all sorts of things. But um, but they just involve first doing kind of an environmental scan, like looking at your surroundings with, and paying attention with your, your five senses, really taking in the sights, the smells, the sounds, dialing into where you are in that moment. And uh, that, you know, and this can just take a, a minute or two. Um, mm-hmm. And then doing a head to toe body scan. So just you know, slowly scanning down your body and deciding, you know, are there any, is there any tightness? Is there any pain? Am I feeling good today? Um, and, and so I taught in the book, I talk about how to do this during a run, but I mean, this could even be like, you know, in a meeting at work and, you know, I feel some like tightness in my chest cause I'm really nervous or, um, so it's all, it's just about becoming aware of where your body is at in that moment and then finally doing like a mental scan so just kind of where what's your emotional weather that day you know what are the the thoughts top of mind are you kind of obsessively cycling one worry or um are you just really preoccupied with your to-do list for the day and it's um it's it's not about changing that thinking but it's about noticing it and i think that's a, one of the huge points of mindfulness is that we just don't even have a sense for where our minds or bodies or environments are at uh, in general. That's super good. So three scanning exercises, environmental scan, head to toe body scan, and then the mental scan. So tell us a little bit more about the mental scan, Mackenzie. So it's not about changing your thoughts. This is about noticing them. Maybe tell us about you know a way that we might practice that and how would you encourage us to actually use that scan? Yeah, so, um, well, one, one skill I think that can be really important if you're looking to implement mindfulness is uh, affect labeling. And so it's just about recognizing and naming your thoughts and emotions. And research has shown that that kind of can help quell some of those emotions. So when you have a thought come in your head, you actually notice it and you label it, oh, that's an anxious thought, you know, or that's a negative thought. And uh, it's just about kind of monitoring your inner experience moment by moment. And um, I think just by being able to put your feelings into words, it allows you to better manage those emotions and those thoughts then, and to see them more objectively um, rather than when your mind's kind of running on its own and wandering somewhere, say an anxious thought oftentimes will lead to another anxious thought and another one and it. And it has this down spiral that gets out of control. And then, and then your breathing starts to quicken and, um, and you have a physical response then. And so when you're able to actually notice a thought or an emotion, label it and become aware of it, you know, really consciously aware of it, it it helps you think more clearly about what is happening in the moment. And um, I think a lot of times, you know, you'll find that you notice that your thinking is kind of off base, you know, that these, these anxious or stressed thoughts, like if you're standing, uh, you know, at the start line of a race, say, um, and you're getting worked up, I mean, if you can really be mindful and tap into, okay, that's an anxious thought. It just kind of helps reframe it and it helps you, it helps turn it into a more kind of intellectual experience rather than so emotional. Mm. 
and realizing it's just a thought. We don't have to believe that thought, right? Exactly. Yeah. I mean, a thought is, is just a thought. And so I think a lot of times we, we have a thought and we take it as truth. You know, we have a negative thought that we're slow or we, we, uh, you know, shouldn't be, you know, shouldn't be out there that we're not good enough. And, and when you're not mindfully taking note of those things, uh, we tend to just kind of internalize them and believe them as as more than a thought as truth yeah so the key is to notice them notice how it's impacting how you're feeling and i like what you said about labeling it what would you tell us to do next like okay so we labeled it you know we're monitoring our thoughts and our experiences moment to moment what's important for us to do after that yeah great question um so it's really about noticing the thought and then redirecting to the present moment. And so that can be in the case of running, I talk about choosing an anchor, which would be like your breath or your foot strike and having that be your anchor to the present moment to always come back to, um, you know, when your mind has wandered, you notice the anxious thought and label it and you come back to, to your anchor. Um, but in other activities, I mean, it could just be what, what you're doing, what's directly in front of you. If you're like throwing a free throw um, to just pay attention to what you're doing in the moment, or if you're at home uh, with your spouse, you know, redirecting to that person in front of you in that conversation. I think, you know, in terms of relationally, we off, our minds are wandering a lot of times. So it's like, notice, okay, I'm, I'm, you know, getting anxious here, or I'm getting stressed, and then redirect to what's directly in front of you. And that's really, that is the practice of mindfulness. It's just noticing your mind has wandered, bringing yep. it back to the present moment. And you Absolutely. can, you know, choose something specific, like your breathing, or just, you know, what's, literally directly in front of you. And what would you tell us to do, Mackenzie, in terms of finding the anchor? So you gave the example of your foot strike if you're running, maybe if you're walking, right? Or your breath. Tell us how we might kind of choose an anchor to help us bring it, bring our mind back to the present moment. Yeah, I mean, I always say that it's, that's like kind of a personal thing and what works for one person won't for another. And what works one day might you know, be less effective another day. So, mm. I mean, for running, you know, foot strike and um, breathing are really common in seated meditation. You'll usually hear people refer to, to paying attention to their breathing. Um, and, but, but you can really choose anything. You could choose something, you know, in your environment. You know, uh, I use the example of running again, just you know, the, you pay attention to the trees or the sunshine or the sky, or, um, obviously you want to maintain an open awareness so that you're paying attention to what you're doing still. Um, this is not about just zoning out. Um, it's, it's really about being completely aware. And, and so you could choose, um, if, if you don't feel comfortable choosing like a specific point, to anchor to, you could just choose your, like everything you see, you know, you could choose everything and you're just trying to really pay attention to the sights and smells and sounds uh, that are all around you and to just really tune into that. Um, so, so I think it, you know, it can be a lot of things. Like I, uh, I usually run with my dog and sometimes I'll just pay attention to her, you know, trotting beside me. Um, so I think, you know, kind of depending on your mood in the day, um, and I would say in terms of putting that into practice that, you know, in the beginning, you can just do that for a couple minutes, um, whether you're walking or you're running or you're gardening or whatever it may be. Um, and, and it, with practice, it gets easier and you maybe can lengthen that time that you kind of decide to devote to being mindful. Mm. And Mackenzie, what about those people who might say, well, you actually, you know, it seems to be better for me if I stop the thought and then I talk back to it, right? Kind of like this powerful and uh, positive self-talk. What would you say to them in terms of if they're like, well, I don't know. I don't know if I buy into this mindfulness. What's your thoughts on that? 
Yeah, well, I think, um, you know, just traditional, traditional psychological skills are still really important, you know, positive thinking and that kind of thing. Um, I think mindfulness just allows you to more effectively wield those skills, you know, to, to identify which, you know, right now, like, I need to think positive or right now, you know, mm. I'm going to start using my mantra or, um, so I, I think sometimes mindfulness can replace that, uh, if positive thinking just doesn't work for someone, um, just acknowledging the negative thought and redirecting to the present rather than trying to smother it with positive thinking that that works for some people, but for people who, you know, a more traditional skill like positive thinking works for, um, mindfulness can kind of be used in tandem with it to, to help know when to deploy that skill. I like what you just said, that mindfulness, if you're more aware of what's going on with your body, body and your mind, right, like it'll help you use the psychological skills more effectively because you'll know what you need and what's working, what's not working. Exactly. Yeah, I think a yeah. lot of times we, um, you know, you'll just kind of read a, a blanket recommendation about what to do, whether that's physical mm -hmm. or mental training, and we just push through without really paying attention to how we are responding as an individual. Yeah, I was actually watching a lot of tennis this weekend. <laughs> so as you're talking, I'm thinking about tennis and like how it's such a grueling sport in terms of like you need so much, like you have to embrace the discomfort because it's so tough. And this match I was watching lasted like for four hours <laughs> and uh, the hands were cramping, the legs were cramping. So, you know, how, how do you think uh, mindfulness helps in terms of like embracing the discomfort, Mackenzie? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, the research is really interesting on mindfulness and pain and discomfort. Um, you know, some of, some of this research really uh, was born out of uh, doctors trying to decide what to do with people who had chronic pain that, that wasn't being addressed through traditional methods. Okay. And, um, so, and then since then, obviously, there's been a lot of research into how it can help athletes. And I think the, the big thing mindfulness can help you do is discern, first of all, the difference between, you know, good, quote unquote, good pain and bad pain, because athletes are always trying to walk that line in terms of, you know, pushing right up to that point, but not getting injured. And yes. so I think being mindful, gaining better body awareness, knowing when you're about to push past the point of no return and knowing to back off is really important. Um, but then when we're talking about the, the good kind of pain, you know, the, the good kind of discomfort that just means that you're, you know, pushing yourself out of your comfort zone and, um, you know, boosting your skills and your fitness, um, the mindfulness can really come in handy there because it can help us kind of examine the discomfort with a mind of curiosity and help shift it from a physical and an emotional experience to a more intellectual one. So if you're, you know, in a training session and pushing really hard and you're, you know, your legs are burning and your lungs are burning and you're breathing hard. Um, when you're kind of lost in thought, it's easy to, to go over to the negative, like, and start getting obsessed with how much this hurts and how uncomfortable it is. And then pretty soon you're backing off without even really noticing that you're backing off. Um, whereas the mindful approach would be to really tune into those feelings of your muscles burning and your lungs burning and get curious about those feelings and to know that, um, you know, that that's part of the process. And uh, so kind of examining them and, and taking this intellectual view um, can help keep you from kind of emotionally reacting, which might cause you to, to back off too soon or, um, you know, to give up or... Mm -hmm. um, just to, to go too far into the negative. And um, I think that there's something called the ironic process theory, which suggests the more you resist a feeling or a thought or an emotion, the more you end up caught up in it. And I think that is so true with 
discomfort in, in physical training because it's so easy to want to resist that discomfort and push it away. And um, what mindfulness does is it just teaches you to kind of engage with it. And oftentimes you find that it's actually not as bad as you thought um, it, when you don't have all these negative emotions attached to the discomfort. Um, so it works better to just kind of acknowledge it not burn a bunch of energy trying to resist this inherent discomfort that goes along with training. Um, and yeah, like I said, there's a bunch of really interesting research out there and uh, like one study, and this was just uh, they were using like a heat probe on people's skin, you know, just a lab exercise to, to um, check for pain intensity. And they found that just 20 minutes a day of mindfulness uh, reduced people's pain intensity ratings by 40%, which is, um, I mean, pretty significant. So um, I think with athletes in the midst of training, you know, really tuning into that discomfort, seeing it for what it is, not attaching a bunch of emotion to it, uh, can really put it into perspective. Mm, absolutely. I think there's so many times, uh, I was telling Mackenzie, I was telling you, before the call that I am back into running and trying to run pretty hard. I uh, published my book in September. And so I've been running, but just, you know, not quite as often as I would want to. And so I've had some self-criticism, <laughs> you know, like, why am I not so fast? You know, what's wrong with me? I look fat. You know, I'm just, I'll just be honest because some of the same things you wrote about in your book, you know, I'm in terrible shape. Right. And then when we're struggling and if we don't necessarily embrace it, if we're fighting it, then we're kind of thinking about, oh, you know, why, why is this happening? Why am I not in good, a good a shape? Or, you know, I'm not going to be ready for this race I have coming up, right? So what would you tell us to do in that moment? Do you think one of your, the tools that you mentioned, would that help? Or what are your thoughts on that? Yeah, I mean, well, like what you're talking about in terms of we, we do tend to be hard on ourselves sometimes. Yes. So. Uh, that, uh, it, you know, like we were saying how a, a thought is just a thought. So mm. not allowing, you know, mindfulness isn't about not having those thoughts about like, oh, you know, I'm so slow or I'm fat yes. or, you know, yes. what people in the cars passing by are thinking of me and uh, exactly to notice it, notice the thought that you're having and then redirect to the present moment and uh, because the alternative is basically letting those thoughts spiral completely out of control. You know, one thought leads to another, to another. Um, so it's just about not giving as much bandwidth to that kind of negative thinking. And a huge part of mindfulness is, is self-compassion and, mm. you know, allowing yourself to not, not getting down on yourself when you have that negative thought. I think it's so common for athletes to be like, why am I thinking that way? You know, it's, you know, you know, it's unproductive, but instead of just acknowledging it, taking it in stride, knowing, you know, it's just part of our human nature to, to have those self-critical thoughts sometimes. And, uh, and then coming back to the present moment, we let them get completely out of control because we get mad at ourselves. And, um, and you'll hear like just in traditional meditation, they really emphasize self-compassion in terms of uh, mind wandering because, you know, people get down on themselves and athletes who try to meditate get down on themselves because they can't uh, stay focused a hundred percent of the time. And they're, you know, and they get mad every time their, their minds wander. Um, but I, it's just, it's, you know, part of That's going to happen to everybody. Even the most practiced meditator, is going to find that their minds wander. So it's important to be compassionate, not to make a big deal about it and get down on yourself, just acknowledge it and return to the present moment. Um, because it's just not productive to um, get down on yourself for having certain thoughts or for letting your mind wander. So um, it's, it's all about kind of rewiring your response. And I think in terms of those thoughts that you're talking about having, which are super common, you know, whether you're uh, new to a sport or you're just coming back after an injury or time off and you're maybe not in as great a shape as you used to be. Um, 
I think using like Socratic questioning can be a great Ooh. tool. So would I, would I say that thing that I'm saying to myself, would I say that to my training partner? You know, like would I say, yeah. what's wrong with you? You know, why are you so slow? Of course you wouldn't like, you know, you would have a lot more compassion for your training partner. Uh, and so you should for yourself as well. <laughs> ah, I like that to Socratic questioning. And, you know, in your book, you said the, the most common types of negative self-talk or self-criticism, like, you know, I'm not athletic or I'm in terrible shape. Uh, self-doubt was the second one. You know, I'm never going to be able to hit that pace or I don't have the right body type to be a blank. And then the third one is self-pity you know, gosh, I have the worst luck, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you know, but then you said self-compassion is an essential pillar to any mindfulness practice, right? It, it plays a big role in helping you deal with the negative self-talk. Mm -hmm. So I thought that was powerful. And I like what you said about the Socratic questioning. You know, would you really say this to your best friend or your training partner or your spouse or your kid, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of the other questions I wanted to ask you, Mackenzie, is tell us what you found in terms of the research about mindfulness and flow and the connection to flow. Tell us a little bit about that and how you see that. Yeah. I mean, there's some really interesting research about there that out there that shows that uh, mindfulness can really help kind of create the conditions uh, for flow. Uh, so, I mean, obviously you have to start with like the skill of the athlete and the challenge of the activity have to be balanced for flow to occur. Um, and so that has to, you know, those circumstances have to be there. But then um, mindfulness can just kind of help set the stage because it keeps you from getting distracted from just random thoughts or outside forces. It keeps you from um, getting caught up in, in judging yourself or the activity. Uh, and it allows you to just really be in the moment um and i think some people get a little confused about like conflating flow and mindfulness and they aren't the same thing um mindfulness really requires effort uh, whereas flow feels effortless and mindfulness really requires you to sustain awareness of the present moment uh in the flow state you know action and awareness kind of merge and uh, in my book, I talked to Dina Castor and she talks about how flow can't be forced. It just kind of has to happen. And, um, so mindfulness can help kind of create the right conditions for that to happen. Because if you're, you know, stressed or distracted or whatever, you know, there's no way you're going to be able to get into that zone. Mm, that's super good. Actually, when you were talking, Mackenzie, I, I pulled up that part of your book and I had it open and I was reading what Olympian Dina Castor said. And she said, it starts with an intention to create a mindset that allows flow to happen. Flow can't be forced because the force is met with a counter force. Huh? But flow is something that has to happen without tension or pushing. And I, you know, for people who've studied flow, check Sek Mihai's work, right? Like, clearly shows that mindfulness and flow isn't the same thing or the same concept. Right. Mm -hmm. How do you think mindfulness helps us experience the flow? I mean, I think that mindfulness uh, just really can put you into the moment so that you can enter that, that state of mind. Um, and, you know, it's, it's a, uh, it's, you know, where you're going to feel and perform your best. And it's that kind of elusive feeling. And so I think just expecting it to happen uh, isn't going to work so well. You have to be really intentional mm. about the way you are approaching uh, your sport or, you know, flow can happen in all sorts of different activities. Uh, so approaching it with some intention and really being present and immersed in the activity is, you know, such an important, uh, part of flow. And, um, so you, you, um, you, you kind of have to, you have to set the stage for it to occur. You can't just, you know, in running, go out for a run and just expect to enter that headspace, uh, while you're cycling your to-do list and your worries about, uh, the other things you have to do in the day or ruminating about some past conversation you had or 
this or that. I mean, being uh, actually present um, and, and, and mindfulness is connected to, you know, really enjoying activities more. And so having mm-hmm. that just kind of inherent joy um, is in that just uh, the intrinsic motivation is a really important part of um, reaching that flow state and fully experiencing it. Mm, awesome. Sounds good. So Mackenzie, you know, I always ask people to tell us about a time that they failed, <laughs> a time that wasn't, you know, wasn't very successful for them. And so what I'd love for you to do is tell us about a time that failed for you or that you failed, right? A time that didn't go perfectly for you and how you might use or have used mindfulness to deal with that. Because I want, I want people to think about how can they use this approach, not just in their athletic career or not just in their work, but, you know, these moments in time that we do experience adversity. So do you have an idea or a, a story you can tell us? Yeah, of course. Um, I think a big one that comes to mind for me is um, I think it, it – um, shows the difference between like a mindless approach and a more mindful approach to Mm. competition. Um, A number of years ago, I was training for the Sioux Falls Marathon and it was really the hardest I had ever trained. Um, I really kind of had set aside the summer um, to training and work and focusing on that. And so I was, I was running, you know, 75 miles a week and doing these amazing long runs and like nailing my tempo runs and doing really well. And, um, and my husband and I both decided to do two falls because, um, a, we could drive to it and it was the last weekend we could qualify for Boston, Boston that fall. Sure. So, um, but then race day ended up being like really hot and humid and, there's very little shade on the course and so but I went into it like with this mind that like my training went so well like I'm just like I'm gonna dominate this and um but like by six to seven miles in though I knew I was getting into trouble like I was having some stomach cramping and just like feeling really overheated and um really I did not adjust my pace Mm. or hydration for the circumstances despite the fact that, you know, I write about this stuff for a living, (laughs) marathon, you know, I should have known better, but I got so focused on my end goal and like, um, you know, and convinced that I was going to run this pace and not adjusting for the kind of extenuating circumstances and paying attention to what my body was telling me in those, in that heat. Um, so it was this, just this pushing through sheer force of will. And so a pretty mindless approach really. So by the halfway point, my stomach was completely in knots. I had, I'd fallen too far behind on rehydrating and had been pushing too fast and the wheels just completely came off and, uh, you know, my hips started hurting then. And, you know, who knows that I think that was psychological, but um, I, you know, came across the finish line, like 20 minutes slower than I wanted to be. And so I, I was, you know, I'd never been so upset after a race because my training had gone perfectly. And I had just, I had like planned for this and run exactly the, the workouts I needed to. And all indicators were that I could, you know, run a good race. So I took a week off or so and I kind of reeled in my thinking and began to understand that I had become so focused on that end goal that I wasn't really taking part in just the moment to moment experience of the race and adjusting when I needed to adjust um, and noticing what, you know, my body was telling me in those, uh, in that weather. And so a month after that, I just decided to go out and run Twin Cities Marathon for fun. You know, it's my hometown race and, um, I just kind of decided I'm going to take a more kind of mindful approach. And this was still kind of in, uh, you know, earlier in the years when I was still kind of developing a mindful running practice. So, um, 
this was, you know, a real revelation for me um, because I decided to approach it more with just a present state of mind. And um, I was just going to take the race one step at a time, enjoy the run, enjoy each mile, enjoy the scenery, and enjoy just like being really fit. And, um, and so I went out, you know, and ended up running a Boston qualifier there. It was too late to qualify for Boston that next year, but it would qualify me for the year after. And um, I think it was just like a perfect example of how when you can just relax into the process a little bit and not fight all these outside uh, forces and um, really just go with the flow, react and to, to the, or respond rather to the things and whether it's in your, your body or your mind or the environment with some skill um, rather than just mindlessly trying to mm. push through, uh, you usually end up performing better. And I think, you know, the same goes in, in business and in relationships and all sorts of things. Ah, uh, that's excellent. What a great story. I actually think that I was at the Sioux Falls race, but I ran the half marathon Okay. I remember it being very, very hot. So yeah. <laughs> I was picturing the course as you were, as you were talking and everything like that. But what a great example of just like being mindless, right? And maybe even really focused on the outcome and pushing yourself to this like outcome of this time instead of enjoying the process of being fit and responding, right? Not just reacting to the things that are around you. So, so I love this interview, Mackenzie mostly because I work to practice mindfulness as well and, and do incorporate into my practice. And the things that I really appreciated that you talked about was like the scanning exercises, like the environmental scan, the head to toe body scan, or the mental scan, like these different ways that we can practice it. I also appreciated what you talked about related to affect labeling, just like labeling the emotions and kind of monitoring your experiences moment to moment, but not judging those, right? Just mm -hmm. a thought is just a thought and then redirecting your mind to the present. And then the third thing I really got out of the interview is the Socratic questioning. You know, would you say the same thing that you say to yourself, to a friend <laughs> or a training partner, like you said? So I appreciate uh, the time and energy you took to, to tell us a little bit about your expertise today. You know, one of the studies you mentioned suggested, you know, 20 minutes a day can really, you know, help us. What, what would you tell us to do in terms of, like, incorporating this into our life? to our lives and to our training or to our, our work or, you know, our business, what would be the advice that you'd give us kind of moving forward? Yeah. I mean, I think um, mindfulness is really a, you know, it's a personal practice. So you kind of have to decide like what works for you. Um, for me, you know, I started by applying mindfulness to running and little by little applied it more and more. I'd, you know, apply it to, part of a run some days of the week and sometimes you know as I kind of got better at it I would do it more um and then eventually now I, I do a seated meditation practice too mm. several days of the week where I'll sit for 10 or 20 minutes um and meditate that way as well um some people are more comfortable you know choosing to um you know, just turn off the radio on their drive home and really, you know, you're obviously paying attention to your driving, but also just being present in that drive and um, noticing everything around you, not getting lost in thought completely. Um, or some people will choose to, um, you know, I know I try to really be present with uh, my young daughter. She's 20 months old and so whether I'm like giving her a bath or playing with her at the park I try to you know how where am I at like mentally physically like am I really present and paying attention in this moment and so I think you can you can choose different activities to apply mindfulness to um, if you're comfortable doing seated meditation great but you can also apply it to to other activities as well and um, I think starting with, you know, a couple minutes of really trying to be present, you know, maybe you, you do those scanning exercises and then just try to kind of either have that open awareness for a couple minutes um, or choose one of those anchors. Uh, and then 
what the you know research on neuroplasticity shows is that with you know over time and training but not actually that much your brain really starts the structure and function of your brain really will will change to support that mode of operation that more mindful present mode of operation and i think that's one of the things that encouraged me really in my mindful running practice was I noticed that not only was applying mindfulness to my runs, making my running more enjoyable and fruitful, uh, I was noticing that state of mind spilling into other areas of my life that I was, I was just finding myself being able to be more present with my daughter and not distracted by all the things I had to do, just being able to be with her or you know, I'm, I'm, I think a more focused writer. I'm not so distracted by email and, you know, this and that, uh, and social media. Um, hmm. I'm able to kind of more intensely focus on the thing in front of me. And so, uh, yeah, and that's what the, the brain research suggests is that when you practice mindfulness in one area, that it can really just make you more mindful in all areas of life. Excellent. So mindfulness is a practice. And so if you'd like to grab the book, which I encourage you to do, I have mine right in front of me here. It's called Mindful Running, How Meditative Running Can Improve Performance and Make, your hap make You a Happier, More Fulfilled Person. So Mackenzie, tell us where we can pick up a copy um, and follow along with you. Yeah, sure. So uh, you can get it on Amazon or Barnes & Noble or most major booksellers. Um, and you can find me at mackenziehavy.com or mindfulrunningbook.com. Excellent. And are you on social media for us to follow or yep, connect with you? Under Mackenzie Havy, I'm on Instagram and Twitter and LinkedIn. Awesome. Mackenzie, thank you so much for taking time to talk with us today and share your expertise. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for joining me today on the High Performance Mindset. If you'd like to learn more about the mental game in business, sport, and in life, you can pick up your own copy of the Beyond Grit book and workbook at beyondgrit.com. You know, the book and workbook covers 10 practices to help you gain the high performance edge and provides practical strategies and tools that work. Adam Thielen, a Pro Bowl wide receiver for the Minnesota Vikings, wrote the foreword. And you can learn his insights on how he implements the mental game. And a special offer for the listeners of the podcast, you can use the code FREESHIP, that's capital letters and all one word, FREESHIP, to get free shipping of the book and workbook at beyondgrit.com. Have an outstanding day, my friends, and be mentally strong. Thank you for listening to High Performance Mindset. If you like today's podcast, make a comment, share it with a friend, and join the conversation on Twitter at mentally underscore strong. For more inspiration and to receive Syndra's free weekly videos, check out drsyndra.com.